mornings, and I'm also a licensed therapist. Oh, no, I, uh, I need your code. Dahlia? What's your name? Avital. Avital? Sorry, what? Oh, 6134. Okay. All right. I appreciate everybody coming. One of the things that I love to do in life almost more than anything else is teach Torah to adults. So I'm very, very, I'm thrilled to be here, and I'm glad that Rabbi Klein asked me to, to sub for him. I teach for TLC a lot, or frequently. I don't know if you have any of you ever went to TLC. Um, I talked for them last night. And, uh, but we're going to do a different cheer than I, than I did there. So we're going to talk about resilience. I think resilience is the most important mida that a person can um, develop. Okay? It's not something that you either have or don't have. I think resilience is something that you can develop. And at the end of this year, we'll talk a little bit about how to go about developing it, what kinds of questions a person needs to ask themselves in order to make sure that they are developing it and, and acting on it. Um, and if, you're, if you have children, some of you are married, some of you have children on the way uh, somewhere, right? So uh, if you can help your children or your students, any of you teachers, okay? If you can help your students or your, or your children foster resilience, if you can do that, that would be a tremendous bracha for them. So what is resilience? Maybe you guys can give me a good definition. I don't like to just lecture. I like, to, I like you guys Not to get involved. Up. Not giving up, okay? Like you're going through a bunch of Okay. Push through. Push through. Okay. All right. According to my online Oxford dictionary, um, the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties or toughness, but it's obviously in sync with what you said. Um, in general, resilience describes the ability of a person or people to persist towards reaching their destination or their goal, um, notwithstanding many challenges that they may have on their journey. That's from some TED talk. Okay. Uh, so. The first thing I'm going to ask you, maybe you can, you can think, you can brainstorm, you can think of some Mamori Chazal that kind of touch on this idea. Um, can you think of any teachings from Mishnah, from Talmud, something that you heard, something like that, that kind of touches on this concept? Sheva Yipol Tzadik Fikam, right? That the Tzadik falls seven times and gets back up. We're going to talk about that later. Okay? Anybody else? So there's a famous story with Rabbi Preda and his Talmud. Rabbi Preda taught his Talmud 400 times and he still wasn't getting it, so he taught him a 401st time. So that's resilience. To me, actually, you know, if everyone says, wow, what a great rabbi, that he taught his students something, he wasn't able to understand it the first 400 times. And the 401st time, he finally got it. But if I was the Rebbe, I probably would have given up after, like, you know, at least 50, 60 times. I don't know, you know. But imagine 401 times. When I learned, when last year when I started teaching middle school boys for the first time, I've taught in Besiakov, wherever, Besiakov, right? Um, I, I, I taught in Besiakov, and it was my first time, though, teaching middle school boys, and I realized, you know, probably that student paid attention to every single one of the 400, because if he was spacing out, I don't think the Rebbe would have kept going, okay? But I think it's, it demonstrates the, the resilience of the Rebbe and of the Talmud, both, the Rebbe and the student. <clears throat> um, there's a va- fascinating Gemara in Brachos, and Dachalam and Beis, and Beis, We'll do this in Dafyomi in about a week or so. The Gemara says, Amar Rabbi Chama Rabbi Chanina, Imra Adam If a person davens and he sees that he hasn't been answered yet, you should daven again. Shenemar brings a pasuk that we're familiar with. Kavel Hashem, hope to Hashem. Chazak, take strength. V'yamez libecha, be courageous in your heart. V'kavel Hashem and hope to Hashem again. I'll say the passage one more time. Kavel Hashem, hope to Hashem. Chazak v'yamitz lebecha, be courageous, be strong. V'kavel Hashem, and hope again. What does it mean, hope again? It means that you shouldn't give up. It, that's what the passage is saying, according to the Gemara. You dive in, and you're trying, and you're trying, and you're trying, and you're trying, and you're not answered. Says the Gemara, try again. And that's what the passage is saying. To me, excuse me, to me, this passage, and this, this Chazal, the Gemara and Brachos about Tefillah, is really demonstrates, I think, more than anything else. Throughout history, especially Jewish history, there are a number of people, or the Jewish people themselves, who have proven to be resilient. So again, I want to ask you if you can, you know, do a, a very short, brief brainstorming session here. Well, who can you think of that was a resilient person in Jewish history? Rabbi Akiva, why? He had 24,000 Talmidim who died, and then, he kept, and then when they, he, still, he rebuilt the yeshiva afterwards. I mean, that's like unbelievable. Right, very good. It's, a, it's a great example. What about in Tanakh? Can you think of it? David Amelech? 
Avram Avinu has 10 Nisyonos, he has 10 tests. Okay? David HaMelech, certainly. Anybody else? David, yeah, Yosef could have easily given up. Okay, what do you mean? For sure. Okay, so obviously Tanakh is full of examples of people who are resilient. Um, the ones that I wrote that, you, that were not mentioned, Yitzchak's wells were stolen, but he kept digging new ones. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. <coughs> Moshe Rabbeinu ignored, disrespected, challenged, rebelled against, but stayed loyal to B'nai Yisrael, didn't give up on them. Hashem gave him an opportunity to give up on them, right? After the Egel Azov, he says, uh, you know, uh, I'll just destroy the Jewish people and, and, um, and you, you know, I'll rebuild from you. Moshe says, I'm not giving up on the Jewish people. No. <coughs> what do you mean? Noach was resilient. I mean, he spent 120 years. Thank you. He, he, spent, 100, he spent 120 years building that Teva. How many of us have spent more than 10 minutes, you know, without plagiarizing? I'm just joking. All right. Um, okay. I ran my, my, I have a daughter who's in ninth grade now, Mace Yaakov, and she wrote, she wrote, I think it was last year, she wrote an essay. And it was so good. So I don't know if I told you this, but I actually ran it through one of these plagiarism websites. And it was 99.9% plagiary-free. Yeah. There's one, maybe one quote that they... Yeah. Right, right. Okay, Nevi'im were ignored or persecuted, but stayed loyal to their mission, to Hashem. Yishayo, Yermiyo, I mean, I'm not a big expert in Navi. you guys probably know Navi much better than I do, but the Nevi'im throughout Navi are, are just, uh, you know, and, and yet they do what they have to do. Like, Yonah gives up, that's an example of where he wasn't initially resilient, right? Uh, the Jewish people throughout history persevere, push on, despite hardships. Um, how long is this year usually? 45 minutes? Until you guys are spacing out? Usually it's still like 9, 45, 10. I'm not going. It's at 7.30 usually. What? No. 7.45. You go from 7.45 to 10 o'clock? It's supposed to be 7.45. Not yet. To 9? It usually goes long. All right. It always goes It's my intention. I have, I have a client in the valley right after 9.30, so we're going to... We're, okay. So I'm going to talk fast, but I'll keep you guys in it. Sound good? Okay. There's a famous quote from Mark Twain. Uh, you guys know the famous quote from Mark Twain? One about the, the one about the Jews. You know that quote? Okay, so I could skip it? All right. Okay. Harper's Magazine, September 1899. If the, if the statistics are right, the Jews constitute but one quarter of one percent of the human race. It suggests a nebulous puff of stardust lost in the blaze of the Milky Way. Properly, the Jew ought hardly to be heard of. But he is heard of, has always been heard of. He's as prominent on the planet as any other people. And his importance is extravagantly out of proportion to the smallness of his bulk. The Egyptians, the Babylonians, and the Persians rose, filled the planet with sound and splendor, then faded to dream stuff. That's my favorite word in the passage. And passed away. The Greeks and Romans followed and made a vast noise, and they were gone. Other people have sprung up and held their torch high for a time, but it burned out, and they sit in twilight now, and have vanished. The Jews saw them all, survived them all, and is now what he always was, exhibiting no decadence, no infirmities of age, no weakening of his parts, no slowing of his energies, no dulling of his alert but aggressive mind. All things are mortal but the Jews. All other forces pass, but he remains. What is the secret of his immortality? To me, that's a great illustration of an outsider making an observation about the resilience of the Jewish people. Without bringing Hashem into the equation, obviously, he's just wondering. Um, I, my daughter, Rifki, who's a ninth grader in Bisiaco, I have a standing offer to her. She has an incredible memory. If she memorizes this passage, I will give her $20, and she will say that the Pesach Seder. Um, so far, she hasn't taken me up on it, but, but I think it's a cool thing to know by heart. I think it's a cool thing to know by heart, so I'm encouraging her. There's a, fam- there's a famous, well-known, famous and well-known, I, I tend to be redundant and repeat myself. Rabbi Yaakov Emden writes, Our survival throughout all the persecutions and exiles is the greatest miracle of them all. A greater miracle than all the miracles in Egypt and the splitting of the Red Sea. You'll find rabbis often put these two quotes together. But to me, Rav Yaakov Emden's idea is much deeper. Rav Yaakov Emden is saying, and he lived in the 1700s, I think, 
what Yaakov Emden is saying is that the, the greatest proof to the divinity and to the connection between Hashem and the Jewish people is the fact that we're still here. And so tonight, when I was reviewing my notes for this shir, I wrote, to my, I, wrote I would add that our historical resilience is testament to our relationship with Hashem. The fact that we are here, the fact that we have been resilient, is only because we, because of our faith in that relationship. And I think it's a testament to that relationship that we have with Hashem throughout thousands of years. And, that's, and it's demonstrated by the fact that we are here. Let's take a specific example, though, from the Torah. This week's parsha is parsha's Bo. Next week's parsha is parsha's B'Shalach. So Shemos, Va'era, Bo are the three parshios of Gullus, of exile, of the Jewish people being persecuted. Va'era is already the beginning of the, of the, the first seven makos, and, and the servitude gets lessened, certainly. Okay? Bo is a continuation of that, and at the end, Paro says, finally, okay, you could go. So, 210 years of slavery. Paro is obstinate. He refuses to let the people go. Finally, after ten plagues, at the end of the parsha, the Jewish people are led out by Moshe out of Mitzrayim, which of course takes place right in the beginning of, you know, the end of this parsha and the beginning of next week's parsha. It's such a crazy story because what's the first thing that happens when they leave? They complain. Well, yeah, they're going to complain, but why? What are they complaining about? What did you say? Why don't they Why do you take Get that Yeah, but where were they? In the Midbar. What, what was the uh, geographical location of their challenge? The Yamsuf. The Yamsuf. They were, they were locked in. They were locked in. On one side was wilderness, and it was barren, and they couldn't go there. On the other side was the Egyptian army. On the other side was the ocean, and they're trapped. And they say to, they say to Hashem... Like, what did you do this? What are we here for? They cried out of fear. They cried out in anguish. And Hashem says to Moshe, and somebody wrote, God communicated the spirit of Jewish resilience in his words. And Hashem was telling Moshe, teach the people to be resilient. This is a moment that calls for resiliency. And Nachshon led by example, didn't he? And he demonstrated the incredible bitachon at this moment of crisis. I, I wrote tonight, when I was again reviewing my notes tonight, I wrote, perhaps this is a definition of resilience. Demonstrating incredible resilience at a moment, or bitachon, at a moment of crisis. Demonstrating bitachon at a moment of crisis is spiritual resilience. And the people are rewarded with incredible miracles at the Yamsav. Chazal say that what, 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 what the simplest person saw, a maidservant, the simplest Jew, what they saw at the Amsuf and the experience that they had, which hopefully you've been to a good Pesach Seder and you've had the opportunity to like hear about it. You've seen that, that insanely um, scary uh, Haggadah. I think it's by Gadi Fuchs, right? right whatever, what's it called? Gadi Pollock. Gadi Fuchs is somebody else. Uh, Gadi Pollock, yeah. You, so you've seen the Haggadah and all the miracles that took place at the Amsuf, all those Midrashim. It's amazing, okay? Um, and Yecheskel, who was one of the greatest Nevi'im of all time, he himself never experienced, never got to experience such, a, such, such incredible miracles. <coughs> the people were rewarded for their resilience, for their faith, for the bitachon at the Yamsuf. And that's what Hashem said. Don't cry out to me. Speak to the Jewish Let them go. Let them act. So having crossed the Yamsuf, where Hashem, of course, made these incredible miracles, what happens next? More crises. They get to a place called the Mara. What happened in Mara? Anybody remember? He put, the tree in the he put the tree in the water. But before that, why did he have to put the tree in the water? The water was bitter. Okay. You would have expected them to have some respite, some break, some R&R. The first place they encounter as a free people, the Egyptians are no longer pursuing them. And what happens? Hashem tests the people. Until now, Hashem had solved all the problems. The Yasser Makos, the Kriyas Yamsuf. But Hashem knew that for the Jewish people to become the resilient nation, He knew He needed them to be. Because after all, look at Jewish history. We certainly had to be. We needed to learn how to respond to disappointment and how to adapt when circumstances don't go our way. And so the water, what happened to the water there? It was bitter. It was bitter, right? 
You're, you're one step ahead of me. Okay. Pasuk says, Vayavo Marasa. They came to Mara, Velo Yachalishos, Mayimi Mara. They couldn't drink the water of Mara. Kimaram him because it was bitter. Alkein Karashim Mara, that's why it was called Mara. Mara means bitter. Vayilonu Amal Moshe. Initially they complained, they grumbled against Moshe. Manishte, what are we going to drink? Vayitzakal Hashem, so he cried out to Hashem. Hashem showed him a piece of wood, he threw it into the water, the water became sweet. Then the Pasuk says like this, He said, If you will listen to the voice of Hashem, your God, You do that which is upright in Hashem's eyes, You will listen to His mitzvos, And keep His chukim, Then, Any of the diseases I brought upon you, Upon the Egyptians, rather, I won't bring upon you, I am Hashem, your healer. What's Hashem doing? Hashem is telling them that I'm going to take care of you. Why did Hashem do this? Why was it necessary to have a test right away? As I just said, they left Mitzrayim. They're chased by the Egyptians. They're stuck at the Yamsuf. They're finally through. And we know that they knew the Egyptians were no longer pursuing them because the water spat the Egyptians out and they saw the dead Egyptians there. There's nobody coming after them anymore. In the first place they go, they have no water. There's water there, but the water's bitter. Could be, could be. But the Nitziv says something amazing that I want to share with you. That the Nitziv is, I'm tell you, Tzvi Yudah Berlin lived at the turn of the 20th, at the 20th century, the end of the 1900s, beginning of the, end of the 1800s, beginning of the 1900s. And he was Rosh Hashiv in, in Vilna, I believe. Ibn Aftali Tzvi Yudah Berlin, the Nitziv. He wrote a sefer on Chumash called Ha'emek Davar. I'm sure you've heard it quoted before. And he says, he brings two reasons. I'm just going to focus on the second one. Why was it? Imagine, he says, you're, you're in charge. You're in charge of a trip. Okay? You're in charge of a trip. You've got your class. How many students are in your class? 13. You have 13 students in your class, and you're going on a school trip. One of the things you, do, you either do is you make sure they bring lunch with them, or you arrange to have lunch there. Imagine you did neither one of those things. What would happen? They would be complaining. Yeah. Yeah. The sensation they would feel would be hunger. Okay. The behavior they would demonstrate would be complaining. Okay? So now, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not a good planner. You don't think he knows logistics? Right? It's only Amazon that knows how to do logistics? Well, of course Hashem knows how to do logistics. So why didn't he prepare the way for them? Why didn't he give them water? Make sure that they, he, he led them to a place that had water. So it was to test them. It was to challenge them. It was to teach them and to ingrain them, to ingrain the resilience within them. So he says, Let me read it, okay? So he says, There he tested the Jewish people for every generation, not just for that generation. He says, Hashem wanted, he said something fascinating, to get them used to the concept of having to put an effort Eisek HaParnosa means to make a living. Lidoros, for generations. A person shouldn't give up when he sees that, you know, the cupboard is empty and the refrigerator's got nothing in it. That's called the Nisoyon. And what's the purpose of the Nisoyon? Ultimately, to do good for you. Okay? Jewish philosophy 101 is Hashem created the world in order to do good for us. And this world, although it might be challenging, but in the world to come is where it's going to be good, etc., etc. Okay? Why don't you say that it's a instead of It sounds like it's the same thing. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Okay? I'm not saying it's not the same thing. I'm You think of Emunah and Bitachal when you hear this, okay? Emunah and Bitachal are the spiritual qualities a person needs in order to be resilient. Okay? Resilience is the mida that comes about through Hamunah and Bitachan. It's kind of synonymous. Because I'm a therapist. No, I like that. Okay. Actually. Okay. LPCC. You know what that is? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I work in like a mental health residential. Cool. My license number is 613. I'm just curious. I never knew that. Yeah, no, no. It's funny. My license number is 613. 
with another three, but six one three, yeah. Okay. So he says that generation didn't need these lessons so much because that generation had a pure hashkacha pratis. Hashem took care of them with the man and the clothing and all the miracles that took place in the midbar. So that generation didn't necessarily need this, this lesson. But for later generations who don't feel, Hashem, don't feel Hashem's hashkacha, who don't have an awareness of Hashem taking care of them every moment, it was needed to teach them that they have to be libo nochan batuach, that they have to be secure. At the last moment, Hashem is going to figure out a way. Not that He needs to wait till the last moment, or not that He didn't know it beforehand, but seemingly in the last moment, HaKash Baruch is going to take care of us, just like in Mara. At the last moment, Hashem you know, generated this miracle where they took the piece of wood and they threw it into the water. And then He says something amazing. And I, and I was so fascinated by this that I looked it up. This is the, the Nisayon, the test of flax that we've brought many times in the name of a Medrash. And I don't know what he's talking about. Flax? Like the seeds? Yeah, like the seeds, okay? And then he says, In order for flax to be good, you have to hit it a lot. It makes it better later. So I looked it up. Okay? I looked up the Nitziv. I did a Google search, and I Baruch Hashem found, okay? So the, there's a medrash that brings three different kinds of nisyonos. Three different kinds of tests. And there's a metaphor for each one. So we'll start with the metaphor. He says, sometimes nisyonos come in life like a kadera, like a pot. He says, when a person buys a pot, they hit the pot. Especially back then, I guess. Why are they hitting the pot? They want it... They want to see how strong it is, right? They want to make sure that it's made in such a way that it's, I guess, the, the, the cheres, the clay, or the metal, or whatever it's made from is evenly distributed, so it'll cook evenly, right? So you're, you're, you're banging on it to test it, to see how strong it is. That's one kind of an item that gets beat up on, if you will, uh, and the purpose of that is to see how strong it is. A second sort of item that gets beat up on is, is flax. Flax is seed. Okay, we know about flax seed because they're a bunch of Meshugayim who live in Southern California and you buy, you buy, fla, you buy flaxseed challah or you make flaxseed challah and you pretend that you like it and you think it makes you look healthy but really you look withdrawn and awful. Okay, right. Anyone here a vegetarian? Did I just make fun of like your whole family? Okay. My brother says because I never understood why vegetarians look so unhealthy. All right. So here you have a flaxseed, and, they, and they, they, you can watch videos on, on YouTube if you're really curious to. Uh, I, I, in my sixth grade mission class, we talked a little bit about uh, flaxseed, because it comes up in the mission, and I showed them a video of how they made linen. Linen, come, the same way cotton comes from cotton, and wool comes from an animal, but linen comes from the ground as well. It's interesting, it's mixing the ground with the sheep, whatever, right? But the linen comes from the ground, and it comes in these stalks with the seeds on them, and they beat them, that's what they do. So the measure says, the more you beat it, the better the linen. So this is a second thing that you beat up on, but the purpose is in order to make it better. And then he brings a third type of a nisayon. He says, like a chamor, like a donkey. What happens with a chamor, a donkey? You're not, you're not hitting it in order to try to know how strong it is or to make it better, but rather you load up a donkey and you keep going to see how much it can handle. You're not beating up on it, but you're loading up. You're making it heavier and heavier. And, and he says, The owner is going to be responsible, of course, that the more you work you cause the donkey to do, the more you're going to have to feed it to make sure that it could regain its strength. So he says, sometimes Hashem gives us a nisayon. If you came tonight just to hear this idea, it's worth it. Okay? And I, I'm thrilled that Rabbi Klein asked me to do this class because I, I found this, this nitziv and it's awesome. Okay? So he explains the nitziv. He's explaining the medrash. Sometimes a Nisayun comes, to know how strong a person is, how righteous a person is. Lafkin means, like we say now, right? To distinguish, to understand. That's number one, and that's like the pot. So some Nisayunas are like a Kedera, like beating a pot, just to see how strong we are. Number three, I'll skip it, number two, I'll come back to it, is. It's in a moment, because that's the one we need. He says, sometimes in Nisayun comes Lavon Hador. You see righteous people who are suffering. I'm not going to talk tonight about why 
um, Tzadikim Tzadik Varalo. Okay, we're not going to talk about that tonight. If you want to talk about that some other time, we can. I have a, I have an, a phenomenal shir that I developed. It's it's called when bad things happen to good people, not why bad things happen to good people. Okay, that's basically the whole shir. Right, don't ask why. Ask what you should do when. And so he says, sometimes some tzaddikim have master yisurim. Hashem loads them down with suffering. And they're there as a kapora for the door, for the generation. And afterwards, Hashem rewards them. So that's, the, that's like the donkey, lahavdil. You load up on the donkey to see how much you're going to carry. And the second type is, in order to make better. And he says, Nisayon, this is kind of like this Ramban that says this idea. I heard this number by Sour many, many years ago. The word Nisayon comes from the word Nes. As we say in Davani, which means to, to lift up a, a, a banner, to unfurl. Nisayon brings koach out of a person. Hashem gives us Nisayonos in order for us to develop ourselves. I was sitting next to Rabbi Dubin tonight. Do you guys know who Rabbi Dubin is? He's a wonderful man. He's a Rebbe in Maimonides. And... Uh, He's from my parents' generation. And he was saying, you know, you, you, you do this, you do that. He was talking, you know, you're a talented person, whatever. I said, thank you very much. You know, I said, but really, like, my father gave me opportunities to do different things in life that forced me and enabled me to access different parts of myself so I can go ahead and develop them, which is amazing, right? So that's what Nisayon is. Nisayon on the second level is Hashem gives us Nisayon. And by the way, how you think about things, okay, this is already therapeutic, but how you think about challenges will determine how you grow from the challenge. So if you think about the challenge as an opportunity for growth, you will, you will, you will be resilient. And this is why I'm using the word resilience and not bitachan and amuna, because bitachan and amuna only come in at certain times, I think, in certain ways, well, especially, obviously, an example I'm giving from, from Mara, yeah, of course. But... Always, I don't know, but certainly, certainly when Hashem tests you with the Nisayon, it's in order to make you a better person. Um, Nechama is the only one here who's been to my house for Shabbos, and, um, and you know that we have a daughter with uh, significant special needs. Her name is Tehila. She actually goes to school not far from here. Uh, right across from Valley College is a place called the Help Group. Right, so she goes to school there. Uh, Baruch Hashem, she's in a great program. Uh, I, I, I don't know that I was such a patient person when I got married. I'm assuming I wasn't so impatient, otherwise my wife would never would have agreed to marry me. But I've become a much more patient person because of her. That's an isayon that has made me into a better person. And I think everyone, I'm sure you can all relate. The truth is that when it comes to shiurim, it's like very, it's very boring and, and a terrible way to learn because it's just me talking. Right? But I would ask you to ask yourself, what nisayon have you had in life that has forced you to become a better person? That's the nisayon that we're talking about over here. And that's the nisayon, that's, and that's resilience. Now, resilience is the midah that enables you to become the better person. So what if someone, like, I don't know, like, also someone has cancer and then they die from it? Like, where is that from? Let me give you the, the opposite. Let me, let, let me tell you a story, okay. okay? And you'll tell me if it makes sense. Um, just so you know, and don't worry, I'm not offended, okay? My father passed away from cancer, my sister passed away from cancer. So I have experience, unfortunately, in, in this area. Um, I recently went to visit somebody in the hospital. He's a very old man, he's in his 90s. His mind is totally with it, he suffers from diabetes. He has gangrene in both feet, they would need to amputate both feet. It's very horrible, very sad. He's not interested in living like that, he sees no purpose in living a life like that. And therefore, he stopped doing dialysis. It's not halachic, okay? Halachically, you should try to keep himself alive. Dialysis is keeping him alive. He stopped the dialysis. Um, you have another person, right, in the next room. I'm making this part up. Who has the same nisayon, and it makes him into... They're both going to die six months apart from each other, right? They're terminal. The only question is, you know, how long can you hold it off? One person becomes a great person, and the other just gives in. So my sister, when she had cancer, she had something called non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. They have a better cure for it nowadays than they did at the time. She died, she died in 2001. She was 23 years old. I was, I guess, 21 years old. 
she, um, she demonstrated incredible emuna, incredible bitachon. There's a, there's a book if you, uh, if anybody would like to see it and you're, and you're inspired by these sorts of things, but there's a whole book about her nisyonos and how she handled them. But she basically, she used it as an opportunity for growth. And she died from it. What's the book called? It's, uh, I think it's called The Rose Amongst the Thorns, but it's, it's not, it's, you can't buy it on Amazon. It's, it's, a, it's a book, we have it in the house. Uh, we used to have hundreds of copies. We gave a lot, most of them away. Okay? Her friends are the ones that wrote the book. It's kind of like a memory book together with, you know, it was their way of, of, of mourning. Of, you know, one of the harder things when people, uh, when, when friends die is you can't sit shiva. And it's, it's kind of awkward, right? Okay. Um, obviously family does. But it, for friends, it's a little bit harder, so this was one thing that her friends did. Let's talk about Yitzchak's wells, okay? So this is kind of our second source. Our first source was Avram Avinu. It's not Avram Avinu, but the Jew, rather the Jewish people at, uh, um, at Mara, okay? And then this idea from the Nitziv that Hashem is testing us. And the therapeutic idea that I'm throwing in there is how you think about something will determine how you come out of it. Okay. We know about Yitzchak and the Plishtim. Yitzchak dug wells and the Plishtim stole them. Listen to the language of the Chavetz Chaim here. Because again, the Torah doesn't tell us stories just because they're stories. The Torah tells us something so that we can learn from it. Inyan Eiro says the Chavetz Chaim. What's the idea of the wells that Yitzchak dug? It's coming to teach us. A person should never weaken himself. From continuing that which you began. Don't give up. Don't be weak. If Yitzhak dug a well and didn't find water, he dug another well until he found water. If the people came to fight with him and argue with him, he left that well, he went somewhere else. Until in the end, he was successful and he, built, he made a well called Rechovot. And then listen to this. Similarly, he says, whenever it comes to anything physical or spiritual, whether it's in business or whether it's in the study of Torah, or I would add personal development. Someone who initially is unsuccessful, they shouldn't give up. In the end, they're going to be successful. If in the beginning you stumble, but in the end you're going to be successful. What's the language here that's so awesome? This lesson is meant to be applied to everything that we do. If you start something, finish it. If you're engaged in, in bettering yourself, it's going to be hard and you're going to fall. But in the end, but in the end, you should make sure you don't give up because in the end, you're going to be successful. When I was looking for uh, uh, the Nitziv, excuse me, Rav Huttner's letter about Sheva Yipotati, if it come, I, I, uh, I found this wonderful essay by someone by the name of Rabbi Price. He's a Rebbe in Neve. So I want to share some of the highlights of that essay with you. In Mishlei, Shlomo Melech writes, it's Perak. A righteous person falls many times and he gets up. And wicked people stumble with evil without arising. The difference between a tzaddik and a rasha is very, very stark. A tzaddik gets up. He doesn't give up. The rasha stays down. So there's, a, there's an interesting medrash. Okay? For those of you that like to think a little bit more esoterically, and this medrash will be fascinating for you. The medrash is in Barashas Rabbah 3, 7, and 9, 2. It says that before the creation of this world, Hashem created other worlds and destroyed them. When He created this world, He said, this world brings me pleasure, the others did not bring me pleasure, and that's why Hashem destroyed them. Is that what Saturn is and Jupiter? No, I don't think so. Okay. Now, now, it's very hard to understand this. Hashem, there was no, you know, before and after. He knew, he didn't know, like, what was he doing? Why did he bother creating those worlds? He knew he wasn't going to like them, so why did he bother creating them? Fair question, right? So there's a fellow by the name of Rabbi Epstein who answers that 
Hashem act, acted out the motions of creating, if you will. Apparently regretting destroying and creating again many times until finally succeeding in order to show us this foundation. That in the creation itself, you have this concept created, founded, rooted. Don't give up. No matter how many times you quote-unquote fail, try again until you succeed. Hashem is telling us, like, look at me. Even I, quote-unquote, you know, failed many times until I succeeded. That's pretty awesome. I, I want to say one more thing, uh, and, but, and then I'll take your question, okay? Many years ago, I, I went to a shir with Rabbi Orlewick, and he was speaking about life challenges or whatever. And I was, you know, 19, 20, 21, whatever, and I thought, oh, I'm going to ask him a question that he has no answer to. Right? It's like, well, what happens when you fail? Okay? You might be all thinking that question. And it's a fair question, I think. You know what he answered me? He answered me brilliantly. Who said you failed? Who said you failed? Failure? Try again. Try differently. I think trying again is stupid, by the way. That's a whole sheer. Do different. Don't try again. Huh? Expecting different results. Do differently, right? And do differently and you'll be successful. It's a pasuk in, in, in Malachim Aleph. Where Shlo, David tells Shlomo, if you want to be successful, use strategies. But when Rabbi Olaf said to me, who said you failed? I, what, what I learned from that was, I don't need to be so hard on myself. I have to try my best. Use good strategies. The end result is the end result. And get back up again. And I think that's very empowering. I think it's very, very... I don't think it's a cop-out. I think it's very empowering. Because if you tell yourself you failed, you're finished. If you tell yourself, oh, I learned something from this. Let me try again. And I learned something else. Okay, what's your question? Um, what if it's not working because it's not working? Can you give me an example? Like, let's say a person... Is that on a, wants to get a certain career or a certain job? Yeah. And they keep going and trying and they're not landing anything, and we don't, I don't know how you know, but maybe it goes by <coughs> something else. There's a couple of Mamari Chazal that come to mind. So, number one is a Pasuk. Which is that you have, you have many ideas of what you might want to do. But in the end, Hashem is going to make, you're going to be doing what Hashem wants you to do. Is we, we make a mistake about Bechira. We think we have free choice. You have free choice as to whether or not to do the right thing or the wrong thing. But you don't have free choice like which job you're going to get. There's so many other factors at play. That make sense? Yeah. When my wife and I were leaving Baltimore and we were looking, we were looking for an out-of-town colo, this is back in 2008, okay, a little while ago, 12 years ago, we had three job offers. Calgary, um, I, we, I tr- applied for a job in Atlanta, didn't get it. But I got a job offer in Calgary and I got a job offer in Palo Alto. I think there was one other one. And in the end, we went to Palo Alto. Fresh and wanted us. Why did I, cho- I can tell you why I chose them when I like The weather's better than Calgary? Okay, I mean, you, you think you know why you chose it, right? I have friends there, you know, all true. We, we, do we have challenges in Palo Alto that we didn't want? Of course we did. But in the end, it was the, that's where Hashem wanted us. If someone keeps trying again, for something specific. How do you, so I, th- I think, there's another Chazal, wrote to Lelech Molichin also, that where a person wants to go, Hashem eventually will help them get there. I don't know how these two things kind of fit together. But I, but I think, you know, should you tell yourself, you know, I really tried for that job, you know, let's say, let's say in my, let's say, right, maybe, it's not, maybe it's not meant to be. I don't know, I'm not so spiritual. I don't kind of, I don't think like that, you know? <laughs> We don't, we, you know, I, I think that's where Amuna and Bitachon, you know, kind of like come in, right? That is that, Amuna is that in, academically, intellectually, I believe that Hashem knows what he's doing. But that Nisayon, let's take, I don't know how old you guys are, but let's say a girl is 45 years old and she's been dating for 25 years, okay? And guys, the same thing, by the way. There are some guys like that also. 
A very dear friend of mine, he's three years older than me, and he's single. He must have dated, I don't know, 300, 400, 500, I don't know. What he, it's, that's kind of, it's where Bitachon comes in. That's when it's practical amuna. It's not easy. And I don't have any easy answers or explanations. Why does Hashem want him like that? I have no idea. Kabbalistically, does Hashem want him like that? I have no idea. It's much easier for me not to go there. I remember I heard a share from Kavi Garfinkel years ago, and she was saying a very similar thing of like, had I not, you know, like been dating and trying and whatever for all of these years, like I wouldn't be the same person. Like I'd be a very different person. Like I could just look back and say, like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have even tried. But like, are you familiar with Kavi Garfinkel's MDOs? No. I only met her one time, or I mean, over a period of one week at a at a cure thing. My wife and I were there together, and um, she gave this speech. You've heard her speak. She's got, she's a great speaker. Right? And she talked about MDOs. Okay, so she goes, imagine you go to a gym. Okay? Oh. A media development opportunity, right? Yeah, yeah, right? Well, like if you just go to the gym. So imagine, you go to a, imagine you're an alien and you go into a gym. Okay? So I, I went to work out today. Okay? And I work out with a trainer. And so he had me like, you know, doing those rope things. You know those rope things? Those, no, you don't. You, you don't want to do those things, okay? That's horrible, right? And I'm like fetching, right? And it, to me, it's like I can't feel my arms afterwards. I'm on a mishugana, you know? Like, what am I doing? Right? So the alien comes and he sees you. He thinks he's a torturer, and and Nebuch, you're being tortured, right? But obviously, something good is coming out of it, right? So she says that every opportunity in life that comes your way, every nisayon that comes your your way. And that's, that's the second, that's the, that's the pishtan, that's the flax. So every, every challenge, and sometimes it's a challenge that lasts for years. It, 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 it makes you or breaks you, right? Hopefully it makes you. And that's how, that's how she talks about it. How are we doing on time? Okay. Like I kind of feel like, oh, then I still didn't find out what... You see, any challenge that lasts for years, I think, I think you have many challenges along the way, and each one of those many challenges is supposed to bring something out of you. Another madriga, another level, you know, some aspect. Oh, okay. Some aspect of change. Go on this pasuk of Sheva Yipol Tzadik Vikam, I want you to listen to this letter from Rav Hutner. It's a famous letter, but it's very empowering. I'm going to read you the entire thing, just because it's so, it's so beautiful. If anyone wants my notes afterwards, I'm happy to send them to you, Okay. So Rav Hutner wrote to a student as follows. This is part of it. A failing many of us suffer from is that when we consider the aspects of perfection of our sages, we focus on the ultimate level of their attainments. In other words, you hear about a great tzaddik, a great tzaddikas. All you know is the end result. And we omit mentions of the inner struggles that previously raged within them. And when you hear about these people, you get the impression these individuals came out of the hand of their creator in full-blown form. Everyone is awed at the purity of the speech of the Chavetz Chaim, considering it a miraculous phenomenon. No one, who knows of the battles, the struggles, the obstacles, the slumps, the regressions that the Chavetz Chaim encountered in his war with the Yitzhahara. Um, I, I, I'm, I, I'm not going to read the entire thing because we're getting late on time, but I, I'm, I very much would love to share these notes with you and I'd be happy for you to read them, okay? No, my dear friend, your soul is rooted not in the tranquility of the Yetzir Tov, but rather in the battle of the Yetzir Tov. Your precious, warm-hearted letter testifies as 100 witnesses, it's a Gemara expression, that you're a worthy warrior in the, bat, in the, in the battalion of the Yetzir Tov. The English expression, lose a battle and win a war, applies. Certainly you have stumbled. He was basically very depressed and he wanted to give up, this person, okay? Certainly you have stumbled and will tumble again. And in many battles you will fall lame. I promise you, though, that after those losing campaigns, you'll emerge from the war with the laurels of victory upon your head. Lose battles, but win wars. Says Rav Hutner, that what does it mean, Sheva Yipol Tzadik, becomes seven times the Tzadik falls and gets back up? The essence of the Tzadik is rising again is by way of his seven falls. In other words, the way that I've heard this quoted, it's a little bit different here, is what makes the Tzadik great is the fact that he fell and got back up. And there's a lashon like that, right? Eno dome, somebody to somebody. Yeah, something like that. Right? You have two people. 
There are two people. One of them has, has experienced challenges and has, you know, risen to the occasion, and the other never experienced challenges, and they're just a righteous person. I think it's, oh, there's another because I like that. Where the Balchuva stands, a, a Tzadik doesn't stand. What made the person great was the fact that he fell and he used that falling and he got back, from, back up from it. That's, that's resilience. There's, there's so much more here and I have so much more in my notes here. Baruch Hashem. And if I knew that you guys wanted to go till 10 o'clock, I would, maybe I would have done that. Okay. Uh, how many of you ever had chicken soup for the soul? There's a famous, there's a famous, uh, famous, it's famous because I read it. But it is, uh, there's a, and I remember, I remember having read it, but in, in this essay from Rabbi, Rabbi Price, he includes it. He includes different people who failed many times and then succeeded in the end. So listen to this guy, okay? At seven years old, his family was forced out of their home. He had to go to work to support them. At nine, his mother died. Don't say who it is if you know, okay? At 22, he failed in business. 23, he ran for state legislature and lost. He lost his job. He couldn't get into law school. At 24, he borrowed money from a friend to start a business. He went bankrupt. He spent the next 17 years of his life paying off this debt. At 25, he ran for state and legislature again. This time he won. At 26, was engaged to be married. His bride died. His heart was broken. At 27, he had a total nervous breakdown and was in bed for six months. 29, he sought to become the speaker of the state legislature and lost. 31, what a loser, right? He sought to become an, the elector, I'm not sure what that is, and lost. 34 years old, he ran for Congress and lost. Finally, at 37, he ran for Congress and he won. 39, he ran for re-election and guess what happened? He lost. 40 years old, he sought the job of land officer in his home and was rejected. 45 years old, he ran for the Senate of the United States and he lost. 47 years old, he tried to get the vice presidential nomination at his party's national convention. He got less than 100 votes. At 49 years old, he ran for U.S. Senate again and lost. Anyone know who I'm talking about? 51 years old, he was elected president of the United States. 51 years old, he was elected president of the United States. Abraham Lincoln. If you were that guy, would you keep going? Ain't no way. Ain't no way, right? I would probably kill myself. All right. He was quoted as saying, the path was worn and slippery. My foot slipped from under me, knocking the other out of the way. But I recovered and said to myself, it's a slip and not a fall. Everyone knows about Thomas Edison? There's a quote in the school where I work in my Maronese. It says, I discovered 10,000 ways of, doing it, of not doing it correctly. Mm-hmm. So it's 10,000 discoveries. That's okay. All right. There's, there's, there's much more here. And I'm so happy again, like I said, to share my notes with you. But I want to... Um, I'll, just, I'll tell you about a modern-day person, Howard Schultz. Everyone knows who Howard Schultz is? No. He's the founder and executive chairman of Starbucks. No. Oh. He's like God, right? Okay. No, I don't like Starbucks. Me neither. All right? I have a $30 gift, gift card to Starbucks. It's been sitting in my car for six months. It's still full. All right. Um, he tried to establish, raise money to, buy, to establish a coffee company whose business model became the blueprint for the success of Starbucks. 217 different investors rejected his proposition. That's crazy. Okay. We're almost out of time, really we're out of time, but I want to tell you one, a couple more things. Um, I, I was re- when I was researching this the first time I gave this year, although I added a lot to it tonight, so don't feel like you know, you're just getting a rerun, okay? Um, I found this great article, and again, if, you, if Rabbi Klein shares my notes with you, I'm happy for him too, Okay. So they bring three qualities of resilient people. Number one. Wow. Deborah Freeman is still online. Okay. Okay, sorry. All right. Number one. Resilient people get that stuff happens. In other words, if you think everything is going to be perfect, you're going to, it's, it, things are going to collapse and you won't recover. But knowing that not everything is going to be perfect. Some of you are married. Some of you are single. You, you know. Or you don't know. No, don't have low expectations. Have expectations that things are going to be hard, but also have expectations that you're going to grow from it and become a better person from it. Be realistic. Be hopeful, optimistic, and realistic. Don't be the pessimist realist. Be the optimist realist. Okay? Number two. 
Resilient people are really good at choosing carefully where they put their attention. They manage their focus so that things they can handle and change and things that they can control, they do. And things they can't, they say, well, it's not up to me. Okay. Number three. Resilient people ask themselves, and this is one that I use with clients all the time, is what I'm doing helping or harming me? I, I, I had a guy, I texted him, you know, I met him, it's a long story how I met him, I don't have time for right now, some other time I'll tell you. Uh, he's become a friend, but I met him, I'll tell you quickly, I met him on Shabbos, he, he um, got into a bike accident, and um, I stopped, I didn't know he was Jewish, but I stopped to see if he needed help. Yeah, you know, it was okay, Baruch Hashem, and, and then I'm walking away, he goes, good Shabbos. And I turned around, I was like, what's your name again? And then Matthew Shabbos, I stalked him on Facebook, and I found him, and I, okay. But like the whole Shabbos, like, what's his name, what's his name? He lives around the corner from me. Anyway, so he came to Shul Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur one year. The next year, I invited him to Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. He's come to our house for meals on occasion. And so I invited him for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, and he's like, I don't think, I don't think I'm going to come this year. I was like, why not? He goes, I'm not in the mood. I was like, what? Are you four years old? You do things because you're in the mood? Right? So somebody's in a bad mood, so they decide to stay in bed, they decide to binge watch, they decide to do whatever, right? I have clients who decide to smoke weed when they're, you know, when they're in a bad mood, right? Is no, I, I, I understood it. It's legal. Somebody asked me to know, it's legal, what's the problem? They say it's legal. Yeah. Anyway, so resilient people ask themselves, what I'm doing now to cope, is it helping me or harming me? Because I bet you, and I know even for myself, there are things that I've done with my daughter that in the short term was not really helping me. But it's, it's very hard. But truly resilient people that can look back and say, you know what, they can do a self-assessment, a self-analysis. Is what I'm doing to cope helping me or harming me? I give you all a bracha that you should all uh, be very resilient people. Develop the spiritual qualities of B'tachan and so you could be resilient. And that when you get into Sianos in life, you realize that it's really about just, you're just a piece of flax and Hashem is begging you to bring out some greatness from you. And that's really... And that's really what we're here for. Thank you so much for coming tonight.